Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you on an historic day in Vegas as we're open, we're open, we're open. We're back to 100% capacity. Man, that's a topic for a radio show today. I think that will be the topic of the radio today. As we're excited to go, brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town. Proud partner of the Vegas Golden Knights and ready for you for all their locations Viewing parties, the places will be jumping. They know how to do the Golden Knights as good as anybody. The proud partner of our show, the Golden Knights, and what they do for us. Fueling the monologue. Get ready tomorrow night for PTs as the Golden Knights are in game two in a battle in Denver. Man, that first game was ugly. We'll get to that. Ugly. But, you know, you're not going to win them all as we open up the show. How's everybody doing? I hope you had a good Memorial Day holiday long weekend. If you got some extra time off, let me know. Hopefully you're fresh, you're back, you're ready to go as we start this week on Raider Nation Radio. I did the double brick. I did two shows on Memorial Day. So I'm juiced up. I'm prepped up. I didn't need a 30-minute or three-hour coffee meeting to give me topics. I'm up to date on all the topics because I did a lot of radio. Thanks to everybody who reached out on the 25th anniversary of the show, which was Bobby knocked that out on Thursday, which was really special. I didn't expect to see what we had lined up because I didn't expect Bobby to put that much into it. But Bobby didn't tell me about it, and he knocked it out of the park. Thank you, Bobby. He was amazing on that. And then I did an anniversary show, Memorial Day, for my national show, and a lot of cool people checked in and a lot of people that I haven't heard from in a while especially a lot of the calls, so that was fun. So that's behind me. 25 years behind me. How many years ahead? It won't be 25. I can promise you that. I can promise you that, but it's been a great run, and the best is yet to come. And a lot of my excitement is because what we have here on a flagship station of the Las Vegas Raiders, and we're at 100% capacity, and we're going to go into that building 100%, and fans are going to go see real Raiders football in Las Vegas, in a brand-new stadium. How exciting is that? And if you would have told me maybe 14, 15 months ago, 12 months ago, a year ago, you know, JT, would we ever get to this moment? There were some tough days. I wouldn't say dark days because I'm not in that business. We're, we do sports radio. It doesn't get dark. It's not very difficult. We're trying to talk sports and have fun and, you know, get into the topics of the day. But there were days where I looked at my wife, and she's like, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. They're canceling sports around me constantly. There's no sports to talk about. I got to talk about COVID and when sports are going to open up again. But I stayed on the radio that entire time for the longest grind and run. And I feel like today is an important day. I really do. Because I plug into emotions with sports and I do in life. And today's a day of celebration in Vegas for everybody, everybody who got us to this point where Vegas has opened up at capacity And now we have the opportunity to attempt, to attempt, because I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect. Remember, we had a first wave, we had a second wave before the vaccine, then the vaccine came, and I guessed not to predict COVID death. It was the one thing that I, I was so upset about people in my business, in, in radio, sports radio, predicting COVID. 
I was like, who are you, you jerk-offs? Like, what are you doing predicting how many people are going to die? Like, less than 1,000, only 1,500. You have no idea. There were people who did that in my genre, in this business. And I said, we're not going to do this. We're going to be compassionate. We're going to want to help people. I'm going to predict it. I'm going to make it political. And then people got politically unhinged, and they got crazy on COVID. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm not getting vaccine. I'm going to get my – it was crazy. So I felt like this weekend a really big – a bunch of bricks were taken off our shoulders. Excuse the pun. And now we get to the point if we had a good holiday weekend and you saw some family and friends and you took off your mask, that we can get to a new beginning, a new beginning in Vegas that no one's ever attempted before. That's the one thing we all have in common here. And if you're listening anywhere, you know, we got a big audience streaming the show. No matter where you're listening, we're opened here in Vegas. I know California is what? June 15th. But we are open here now. And this is a new beginning because no one's been down this road before. Nobody. Even the legends of Vegas who have been here before. Oscar Goodman, Mayor Goodman, all the lounge entertainers, Wayne Newton. Go to all the casino owners, all the people that have owned businesses in this town. They've never been here before. We're all on the same page. What's it like during a pandemic? The pandemic is not over. What's it like during a pandemic when you open up to 100% capacity? Do you remember those days when Governor Sisolak would have his meeting, his weekly meeting? I'd be on a text thread with a bunch of my buddies who will remain nameless. And they were on the edge of their seats knowing if they were going to go from 25% to 40%. They'd find out no, and their, their lives were devastated. These are friends of mine that own restaurants and bars or in a business of entertainment. And they got jobs and families, and they'd be like, oh, my God, we're done for another month. And that weighed on a lot of people in this town, a lot of business owners, mental health issues for everybody that went back to their partners, wives, and husbands and said, I don't know what's going to happen next month. And now we get to this point today where we're 100% open And it hasn't affected my sons. You know, my two sons are doing their thing today. But we sat down and we spoke about this. And I told them, you know, today's a different day. Today's a day that you should remember in your young life. Because this is a moment where Vegas is historic. We got the opportunity to do it right. And I think a lot of people worked hard to do it right. There were so many sacrifices along the way. Not just sports. But sports economy related with bars and restaurants and hotels. And everybody dry cleanings, linen service, food, prep, everybody that was affected, and we're all in this together. The only thing that affected me at all was maybe who was listening, when they were listening, were they unemployed, were they out back to work, were they going to go to a game or not, because they probably weren't going to a game. And I look at this as a badge of honor in my career with the guys that I worked with and gals that I worked with. It was a moment in my career when I check off all the boxes And I look back on my life and my career down the road and say, yeah, I remember that 12, 14, 16, two-year window where we had to cover this story and it affected everybody. We had to do it from home. We couldn't be in the studio. We had to wear a mask. We had to get vaccinated. We couldn't go back in the studio. And I just feel a sense of relief. Very emotional today for me. It is. It's an emotional day because of the people that I work with that I work around at two different companies, three if you include the Raiders. I was so happy I was over at the Raiders a week ago, and I walked into the building, and I went upstairs to the TV and radio 
podcast area and I turned into the sales department and everybody was in their Cuban office. And I was hugging people and fist bumping people I haven't seen in a year. These are good friends of mine that I haven't seen in a year because they weren't going to Raider games because they couldn't. They weren't going to work inside the building because they couldn't. And we weren't hanging out much because we couldn't. And I was able to see them. And a lot of people were emotionally happy and excited. So, again, uh, that's I'll get off my soapbox today. But I wanted to open up the show and, and get a couple of calls from some people on how your life is going to change today. How, how is this going to affect you today? What are you going to do differently? Golden Knights are at full capacity. So it's a really tough ticket, right? It's, it's almost an impossible ticket. But you can still go to the beer house in the park, 100% capacity, right? You can go to the Nomad or you can go to the park hotel right across the street, MGM, and have a beer and hang out with people, right? You can go to PT's. Full so you can do stuff now that you couldn't do or you couldn't do knowingly and enjoy it. You know, 50% crap? What are you talking about? I'm not saying it was wrong to put us at 50%. I'm not, I'm not saying that. There were people way above my pay grade that had to make that decision. But when they were saying 50%, knocking it down to 25 and going back to 50 and knocking it down and all that along the way, those decisions were made to get here today. And we are here today. Well, there's got to be a reaction to it. So what are you going to do? You're going to go out and buy a boat today and go to Lake Mead? Maybe. You know, a lot of my, uh, what people are doing today, they're working out today. A lot of people today are going back to the gym. A lot of people today are going out and they're doing things exercise-wise. Good day to start an exercise routine the day after Memorial Day. If you drank a bucket of Modelo's or two, like I did, all the way through Labor Day. So there are a lot of people very excited as my wife and I walked the dog today in the park by our house. There was just a different energy, and it was great because a lot of people suffered a lot. And I want to, again, thank the healthcare workers and all the people that works at UMC in the hospital. When I got my, when I got my vaccination over at UNLV, it was incredible how efficient it was the, t- the two times I had to go get vaccinated over there, how special it was and the people that were working to try to get this city back to where it is today. So I think we're one team, we're one city, we're all on the same page. It's great to be in Vegas. If you're listening outside the market, you want to call in, are you coming to Vegas now because we're 100% open? I'll tell you one thing, it sure looked like we were 100% open if you ask me at other times during this pandemic. They said, well, 50%, it looked to me, wink, wink, why we were, like we were close to 100% open. But now the chaos begins. There's concerts that are lining up, concerts that are lining up, big shows, big events, everything now that my wife reminds me, look at your calendar. I'm a creature of my calendar. I have it right here in front of me, and I have to live out of it because I'm not very smart. My wife's got her master's degree in education, so she's much smarter than me, and she says, well, let's look. When are we taking that vacation? You know, Raiders disappear. They go on vacation, too. I got to get a vacation in. We try to figure out when we're taking the kids. We're driving one of my sons to college. We're going to take him to college, leave him a car this year. Got to take the other kid to college for the first time this year. Empty nesters. What are we doing? Right? So get the calendar out. We got a little Maui in front of us. Tahoe, what are we going to do? And then the Raiders schedule, which is going to be enormous because the Raiders are now catching up on a lot of events, a lot of big events that they've had on the schedule, which I'm lucky to be a part of. We have the opening of Resorts World. Our friend Scott Sabella in Resorts World. Boz, our great friend over at 
Virgin Hotels, opening that up as the pool opened up there. I got a lot of friends in the community that are opening up venues again, and they've been waiting in the entertainment business. And we hopefully are waiting on Bill Foley, the owner of the Golden Knights, who was kind enough to come on with me and predict that they'd be at 100% capacity during the playoffs. And he was right. And we're trying to get him on ahead of this Golden Knights game. There's not a lot of Raider news. So, again, I choose to do a radio show, not a Raider show, when there's no Raider news. I can give you who's the top three wide receivers of all time and, you know, what's your favorite Raider road trip. I don't do that. I, I do a sports talk show. There's plenty of Raiders. I'll get in on the show today. We'll talk about it. But LeBron James on the brink of being eliminated from the playoffs is a much bigger topic for me today. The opening of Vegas, a really big topic for me today. Teddy Atlas, the Hall of Fame legendary boxing trainer his son works for the Raiders he's going to join us at 1 30 we're going to talk to him about a boxing documentary that's coming up so I'm going to be spraying around all day going in a bunch of different directions and really the couple of big topics that I'll lead with today as we're brought to you by the Henderson Hyundai Superstore Boulder Highway in Henderson they have the super deals you're looking for when it comes to the Raiders the big topic for me is attendance at OTAs that have been fantastic, fantastic attendance. This is a team that's completely all in. That's not sugarcoating it. That's not Raider ass-kissing. That's fact, not fiction. Raiders and their attendance as good as any team in the league. Okay, Tim Tebow is getting all the attention in Jacksonville, and I love the fact that the Raiders are getting no attention in Henderson. This is a good time for limited news for the Raiders. Don't want to hear about injuries. No one pulling a quad. No one hurting an Achilles. No one not available. No news is good news in the Raider Nation. That's one of the topics that I wanted to touch on. No news is good news. Okay, we good with that? We don't want any drama. No private workouts. No one tweaking anything. Everybody going along perfectly over in Henderson. Second topic's Julio Jones, which will be a topic because now we're sitting here June 1st when you look at a cap hit expense of Aaron Rodgers and Julio Jones that I'll get to. Uh, the Bills today restructured the contract of Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs is one of the best players in football. So the Bills converted more than $11.7 million of Stephon Diggs' base salary into a signing bonus. Field Yates reports that saves the team $8 million of salary cap space. $8 million. Uh-oh. Who the hell are they going after? They're better than the Raiders. They beat the Raiders in Vegas. I was there. Josh Allen beat the They went to the AFC Championship game. We know how good this team is. They're a good team. What are they moving space around for? The timing of Diggs' restructured deal comes as teams can take or less, excuse me, can take or lessen dead cap money after June 1st. Okay, this will generate some curiosity in Buffalo today because multiple players could be on Buffalo's radar, including Philadelphia's Zach Ertz and Atlanta's Julio Jones, who are expected to be moved from their current teams. It also creates more breathing room for the Bills, who have yet to sign first-round pick Greg Rousseau or third-round pick Spencer Brown. And that's probably what's happening here. What's probably happening here is they're in a position that they're looking to sign some of their first-rounders and some other players, or restructuring is a good thing. I really believe that's a strength of the Raiders and what they do in their building. The Raiders are very good with the cap. They are. They can move money around if they want to. 
if they want to move money around, they could do it. They go to their players and they ask them. Take a look at that offensive line that some of it's gone. Okay, a lot of the situation that we dealt with this offseason was, did Rodney Hudson want to be here? How much does he make? Okay, what can you do? I don't think Rodney needed to take a penny of a pay cut. Rodney's a great player. Gabe Jackson, his durability and his health, what he was making, would he potentially take a little bit of a pay cut? Trent Brown, who should have been taking a big pay cut to stay here, if he was going to stay here, he was let go. So I think the Raiders are in the conversation because they do have a limited amount of cap space, but they could also easily find a way to restructure and do a deal here or there and find a way what they're going to do with the quarterback. And that leads me to Josh Allen, who finished as the league's MVP runner-up in 2020. The GM of the Bills, Brandon Bean, has publicly expressed interest in signing him long-term. And it seems like Josh Allen is reciprocating. They want to get it done. Either way, Sports Track estimates Allen's market value at $42.2 million per year, which would make him the second highest paid player in the entire league. Which leads us to Derek Carr, whose guaranteed money is pretty much gone. And Derek Carr is in the window now for an extension or what's going to happen with him next year and the enormity of the money that he is going to deserve. Now, Raider fans might not think he deserves $42.2 million or a Patrick Mahomes contract or what Aaron Rodgers gets so it's going to get in a new deal. But it's a big conversation. Derek has said publicly that he wants to be a Raider for life. He doesn't want to play for any other team. So this is a big story today because the Bills are looking at Josh Allen that way. What are the Raiders thinking about Derek Carr? Well, all of our indications are him and Gruden, fourth year on the same page. But I don't get involved with Derek's money. That's not my business. If Derek signs and he signs for a certain amount of money, JT the Brick will have nothing to do with any of the money that Derek Carr makes or doesn't make. I hope that Derek Carr makes the most amount of money that he can make for his beautiful wife and kids. He would deserve it, but it's a business. So that's a lead story today as Buffalo, could Buffalo just be moving around money on a guy like Diggs to sign some rookies, or could they be in the hunt? Could they be in the hunt to do something very, very big? Let me quickly go back to the news over the weekend that the Seahawks are interested in Julio Jones, and the Raiders are on the short list of NFL insiders around the league saying that the fit would work well for John Gruden. Let's get that out of the way first. Why would Julio Jones be a good fit for the Raiders? A, he'd be the best offensive player on the team. Fact, not fiction. He'd walk in the building a more decorated football player than Carr and Darren Waller easily. So Julio Jones, who went to Alabama, where several teammates on the Raiders already went to Alabama, Leatherwood, Right, we got Leatherwood, Josh Jacobs. You look around the teams and the Alabama players that are there. Julio Jones would be an automatic fit. Legacy player, future Hall of Famer. Can run any play John Gruden draws up. Derek Carr can get him the ball. And he would be alpha dog number one. He's the dog. He's the guy. You don't have to look for the guy anymore. A lot of people pull me aside. JT, who's the leader in that locker room? I don't know. I'm not in the locker room. COVID-19. Well, we need a leader in that locker room. Who is it? Well, if you get Julio Jones, there'd be no debate. Derek Carr is the leader of the team. He's the captain. If Julio Jones walks into Henderson or Allegiant Stadium, he is the bleeping leader of the Raiders. 
because of his resume and playing in the Super Bowl and being a perennial pro bowler, and he would be the number one wide receiver. So, can he fit in? $15 million, we've said. No, the Raiders don't want to pay $15 million, nor give him fresh new money that he doesn't deserve, not proving anything with the Raiders. But if the Raiders could get Atlanta to pay a little bit of the money, uh, not have to give up a number one, maybe a number two, or a number three and another player, I, don't, I haven't met one person on planet Earth who doesn't think that Julio Jones would be a great fit for the Raiders. And if anybody doesn't, then they're probably not living on planet Earth. They're an alien. He fits beautifully with the Raiders. Because then I don't have to deal with any calls telling me, is Henry Ruggs the number one or who's the number one? No, Ruggs is supposed to be the number one. He's not available yet to be the one. Okay, there's just not enough reps with him to be the number one. But he was drafted to be the number one. You don't take him ahead of CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy for him to be a number two or a three. So would it inhibit him to get going? No, he'd have his big brother in the meeting room with him. So the Seahawks now are interested. And I think the Seahawks are also interested in him because it would make Russell Wilson happier because Russell Wilson hasn't been happier. Let's not forget, Russell Wilson was a guy that clearly picked Las Vegas amongst a couple other teams that he would want to be traded for. Man, that has calmed down quietly. That has calmed down in a big way. So with that calming down, then maybe maybe Russell's in a good place in Seattle, and if they get Julio Jones with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, whatever they have to give up, Seattle's back to being a super elite, really elite with Julio Jones. Then the other team that makes a lot of sense that we heard over the weekend, if you didn't see it over Memorial Day, is Tennessee. And Tennessee concerns me with the Raiders because they're both in the AFC and they're both competing for the wild card. If Tennessee can't win the division, they're competing for the wild card. The Raiders are a wild card contender because Kansas City's the heavy favorite to win the division. And Tennessee's been better than the Raiders the last couple of years. They have been. You know, Derrick Henry on the ground and their defense and what they're doing. And Derrick Henry went to Alabama, Julio Jones, that fit. It's a real easy fit for Julio Jones and his family to stay in Atlanta and play in Nashville or have roots in Atlanta over the years and kind of move lightly to Nashville. That could be a good fit. So I talked to a buddy of mine who's a Nashville season ticket holder for the Titans, and that's a really big topic on local sports radio. So I don't think the Raider fans are going to lose. You Raider fans aren't going to get upset if we don't get Julio Jones here, but you'll be pretty upset if he lands in an AFC West team. Like what happens if Julio Jones ends up landing with the Chargers? I'd be a little bit concerned, just like I would be if Aaron Rodgers ends up with Denver. All right, the show's 23 minutes deep. No one on hold in Vegas. That's refreshing. Vegas opened today, by the way. I spent 10 minutes. So I'll go to San Francisco. Big Al in San Francisco on Vegas opening today. How are you, Big Al? What's happening? Matt, just uh, wanted to call in. Hope you had a good Memorial Day. Yes. Watched watched a lot of NBA this week. Um, You know, the games have been – some have been great. Some of them have been like, okay, whatever. Um, the fans, I guess people have a lot of pent-up frustrations from the last 15 months being in proverbial lockdown. Uh, but this has gotten a little bit ridiculous. It did happen once in this little soft town called San Francisco where an owner actually got into it with a player, Kyle Lowry, in the finals two years ago. Yeah, I remember you, that. Yeah, you don't normally see that happen at Warrior Games. 
you know, I've never seen it happen in a Warrior game before, ever. Um, and I've never seen it happen in San Francisco Giant game. Uh, 49er games are gangbangers. Uh, Raider games that happened years ago, but I didn't see it in the last five to ten years at any of the Raider games that I went to uh, in Oakland, and I went to every one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like, come on, folks, uh, this doesn't have. This is silly. These are people too, and they're players, and they're there to entertain you. That doesn't give you the right to throw water bottles, uh, you know, uh, spit, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, going back to what happened at the Palace now, 16 years ago. Which was just unbelievable. That was just unbelievably ridiculous. On the, you know that fans even got that close. Um, this you know it, it, you know it has to be charged out as crime. You have to have your tickets revoked, and you got to be made a public spectacle. Okay, get, let's put somebody's name out in the paper and say, okay, okay, jerk, you did this. Now everybody knows about it. Hey, Big Al, real quickly. Big Al, you've been to a lot of Oakland Warrior games over the years. I'm going to be bringing up this topic later in the show because we've we've been – we spent a lot of time together at Raider games in Oakland. But I've been to a number of Warrior games, but I don't remember – Warrior fans being extra stupid and violent and all that. That's that's very accurate, right? The Oakland Warrior fans in the East Bay, high-regarded fans when it came to knucklehead behavior. Yeah, 100% spot yeah. on. Like in all yeah. the years I've been, I've been at Warrior Games, the only real knucklehead move I saw was by the owner. And he got wow. he, he got <laughs> chastised, was forced to sell the team, and it was you know it was an, it was an embarrassment. I've never ever seen that at Warrior Games, and I've been going to Warrior Games since 1993. Got it. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. That's a topic I'm going to get into. I, I mentioned a little bit in the monologue. I got two really big topics I want to get into today. One is how are you celebrating the opening of Vegas? Are you doing anything different as a sports fan? Aviators, Golden Knights, Raiders coming up, whatever you're doing, you're going to go on a Raider tour of the stadium. What are you doing differently today because today's a new day? And today we're open at 100%. And as you can tell, I'm thrilled by that. I'm really happy about today. And then I want to talk about fan behavior with the NBA and how it affects the NFL and how it's going to affect Vegas. I mean, Allegiant Stadium is completely different than the Oakland Coliseum. You knew that already. You know that, and it's going to be glorious. I mean, you could eat off the floors at Allegiant Stadium. It is a palace. People aren't getting off airplanes and walking through tailgate parties and coming in there to get in a fight, all right? Some might have been Oakland. As Al said, he didn't see it, or you might have just saw one off in the distance or whatever. You're not going to be seeing that. It won't be tolerated. It won't be a part of Allegiant Stadium. You all knew that ahead of time. It's a different type of fan experience that's going to be there, and a lot of people are excited about it. But this, this NBA topic is really big. NBA topic is really big, and Stephen A. Smith shared a little bit of time on it. He surprised me and called into my show And we debated and talked about this topic. You'll hear a little bit of that coming up. Teddy Atlas, a little bit later on in the show to talk about boxing and what's coming up. And we'll also get into a couple of real big Raider issues with the depth of this team over this week as I'm heading back into the building. Depth charts are being built. And I think a lot of Raider fans are excited about the depth of the team, considering where it was. It's been a hell of an offseason for the Raiders. They brought in a lot of bodies. If they turn out to be good players, there's a lot of depth, or at least more depth on the team. The monologue brought to you by Remy Martin. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. After a long day of talking sports, backyard brick with a Remy Martin cognac.
never just one guy. Um, but I love when AD uh, puts that pressure on himself. Uh, you know, we're a better team when, when he's aggressive. We're a better team uh, when he demands the ball. And, um, and but we all got to do our jobs a lot better as well. It's a big deal, LeBron James. Phoenix is back in the series. Chris Paul played, and he played great. And now the Lakers have got to play a best of three on the road, game five and game seven in Phoenix without Anthony Davis. It doesn't look like Anthony Davis will go in game five, and then he's got a groin injury. He won't be the same player. So LeBron's, LeBron's got to take it over. He's got to take it over. Why doesn't LeBron score 40 points? I don't get it. Everybody's, Jason Tatum scores 50 every other time he plays. Other guys score 40. Luka. How about the Clippers, the way Kawhi's been playing? LeBron has done it before. LeBron will do it again. But now LeBron has to really take over and do. And that's why it's fun to watch LeBron, who I believe is on pace to catch Michael Jordan as an individual player easily. I mean, his numbers, his stats blow Jordan away. Not even close. Blow him away. And LeBron's going to play for another three or four years. I mean, he, his numbers are going to dwarf Jordan's. But he needs a couple of more rings to hang with Jordan. And this was supposed to be one of the years it was supposed to happen. And Anthony Davis goes down now. So the Lakers are in big-time trouble. Can they get out of it? Yeah, I think they can get out of it. But they're at a point where they're going to need LeBron to completely take it over. The show's brought to you by Modelo, an official cerveza of the Las Vegas Raiders, brewed as a model of what good beer should be. I only drink good beer. I don't drink bad beer. Modelo is fantastic. A bucket of Modelo's waits every Friday. Backyard brick. All right, so we're talking about some of the issues of the day. Unruly fan behavior. We'll get back to that in a second. Uh, 211 Steel Reserves up next. What's happening? He is gone, so we'll get back to that. If you want to open up a line for you, 702-365-9200 is the number. Last night, uh, Stephen A., called into my show because this was the big topic that we were talking about. Huge topic, big topic on what's been happening. You know, he was traveling Sunday night into Monday coming back from the Knicks in Atlanta when he heard me on the radio again and called in. Always a pleasure when I get a note in my ear from my producer that the great Stephen A. Smith from ESPN is listening and calling in. Stephen A., thanks for doing this as you're back from Atlanta. How are you? Well, my brother, I just wanted to I just wanted to let you know I heard that there's a 25th year anniversary coming up for somebody that's been doing radio for the last quarter century. That would happen to be you. I've, I've spent the vast majority of that time listening to one of the best to ever do it in radio, and that would be you, sir. So I want to say congratulations. It means a lot to me. Thank you. And from what time we did radio together and what's happening with your career going on now, it's right back at you. We're both Nick guys. Tell me what it was like down there because now you're living the dream, covering it at the highest level. But the Nick fans who made that journey to Atlanta and wanted to get a game out of that series, what was that like to see that up close? Well, it was it was uh, it was really disappointing to be quite honest with you. Uh, you know, we all showed up there. Uh, I include myself in that mix. I'm a native New Yorker, born in the Bronx, raised in Hollis, Queens, lifelong Knicks fan. Uh, obviously having something to cheer about for the first time in a long time. And the New York Knicks came down to the ATL, tied 1-1, looking to win one of these two games, at the very least to reclaim home court advantage. And they went to bed. And I think that for me, it came down to two things. Uh, there were two all-stars in this series. 
Juan has emerged as the star in this league, and Trey Young been absolutely sensational. The other has been Julius Randle, who simply has not shown up and has been an incredibly, incredible disappointment. Um, I just can't put into words. Somewhere along the line, somebody's got to remind him and R.J. Barrett, you know, you do actually have two hands, not just one. You know, you can't have people screaming. They're going left. They're going left. And you continue to go left with everything that you do. Um, and it's very predictable. It's one thing during a regular season when it's a 72 or 82 game schedule, like it was this year, 72 games, and somebody's coming in town to play you one night and you get the better of them and then they disappear. It's another thing entirely, playoff basketball, when they get an opportunity to prep for you, game plan for you in a best of seven series. That's what they've done to Julius Randle. They've completely exposed him. They've shown his limitations, and they've actually done the Knicks a favor because by doing so, you got to remember, he's due a max contract. Knicks, even though that max would be approximately $120 million. Do you even give that to him at $30 million a year against your cap? Or do you give him four years at $100 million, say take it, and if you don't take it, we still got your rights through next year. You play through next year, and then you explore your options because he's clearly not a number one option. He has proven that in this series, and he has been exposed by a very, very young, inexperienced, albeit very talented team uh, in the Atlanta Hawks, who's exceptionally well coached by, by Nate McMillan. Incredible analysis, Stephen A. Smith. And I, I want to tie it into baseball with the Yankees. It's the same thing I say with Judge, who you talk about on first take, and you're in New York. You, you look at extending yeah. him, and another guy wants $300 million, and you look at him striking out twice a game, and he wants Stanton-type yeah. money. When athletes are playing to the end of their deal, and they want that max dollar, you got to look at them and really crunch the numbers and say, we want to give it to you. But we can't because you haven't delivered at the toughest time. But Stephen A., one thing I'll tell you, he plays hard, and that's what I love about him. You know, he gets 23 points, and he doesn't play anywhere near to his capability, but his motor is hard, and i got to give him that much. I definitely give him that much. That's why you don't throw him away like you're throwing away trash. You value him, just don't value him as much as he thinks he should be valued. See, Julius loves being the number one option. He loves being the face of the franchise, and I can appreciate and respect that. But you got to produce when you're called upon to do so. Playoff times is when you're called upon to do so. And he's come up flagrantly short, and that can't be ignored. And so I'm not telling you that they should be gone, that he's not a piece that you can't utilize to your advantage that can contribute to some level of success. I'm saying the New York Knicks will never go anywhere if he's their number one option. You cannot be an individual devoid of ambidextrous basketball association and one option this is not the days of Clyde Drexler where he was able for years and build a Hall of Fame career until he got exposed against Michael Jordan this is an entirely different age with different players and if you have that kind of deficiency where you're a one-armed bandit they're going to expose you plus on top of it all he's dribbling the ball a lot Tom Devito has the offense running against him He's posting up guys, JT, 20 minutes away, 20 feet away from the basket. 20 feet away from the basket, he's standing at free throw line extended, top of the key with his backside on somebody calling for the ball. So he could turn around, face, you know, and try to bulldoze you going left, of course, or he'll push off and step back just to get his left-handed jump shot off. That's not how you're going to win on the National Basketball Association, and the Atlanta Falcons have spent the better part 
of four games showing us just that. Stephen A., as we wrap it up, I'd love to get your comment on the serious topic on unruly fan behavior. Four different arenas most recently now. I know you were traveling. A fan throws a water bottle at Kyrie yep. Irving heading to the tunnel, and he's ejected it. for life from TD Bank Arena. Is the, are, these are isolated incidents. We understand this. But you have deep connections right. with Adam Silver in the league and ESPN. What do you think the next step is from the league and arenas here? Because this has happened a bunch in the last week. Well, I thought tonight what transpired with that that idiotic fan in um, Boston told a lot because they arrested him, they handcuffed him, and on top of it all, they banned him for life. But they made sure they handcuffed him publicly. Everyone saw his face on camera. And I think humiliation is the way to go. Public shame is the way to go. Because if this were a player, that's how we would choose them. We, that's how we would treat them. And I thought that Kevin Durant's words – about how their mothers, their parents wouldn't want them to want to see their child acting that way. I thought that was incredibly apropos because it's important to say things like that. Having said all of that, on first take last week, I brought up this point, JT. If you recall, over the last year, obviously, we've been going through a pandemic. There's a lot of people, and during that pandemic, there was the killing of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd by Officer Derek Chauvin, who was just convicted. There's a whole bunch of people that harbored animosity towards these athletes because of all of these social justice initiatives they saw taking place. But because of COVID-19, nobody was in the arena. Now, for the first time, they're coming back. And you've got people who are coming to the arenas, in my opinion, with agendas. They're looking. It's not because of the game. It's not because of, you know, you just happen to be walking in a tunnel and stuff like that. They've been aiming to do something because they don't like what they've been seeing from these athletes because they wanted them to shut up and dribble. That's one element. The other element is something that you would know about a lot, particularly considering the amount of time you spent living in Vegas all of these years. Remember, the Supreme Court has banned, you know, they lifted that federal ban on gambling with sports. So you have a lot of states that have adopted gambling. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Maryland, New York, New Jersey, California, Connecticut haven't adopted it yet, but legislation has been introduced to allow gambling within the state on sporting events. So now you've got people coming to games. They ain't just going to the casinos. They're gambling at these games on these games. If you go to Philadelphia, for example, in order to get Wi-Fi at a game, I had somebody tell me, They had to download the Bally's app just to be able to get Wi-Fi while they were at a 76ers game. So gambling has invaded the world of sports on a more intimate level than ever before over the last year and a half. And I think that, along with the initial point I made about the social justice issues that have perturbed a few fans out there, have created a level of ire we haven't paid enough attention to, and that's led to them going after these athletes in a very negative way. Both of our journeys have been different, but they're based on hard work, passion for sports, dedication to the audience. You know I think the world to you. Thanks for checking in on 25 for me, and I hope to see you real soon out in Vegas, or I'll catch you in New York. Feelings mutual, man. We'll catch up definitely in July when I'm out there for Conor McGregor and then for the Fury Wilder fight. Take care. Stephen A. Smith, nice to hear from him as I'm framing this topic on unruly fan behavior. And that's the biggest topic in sports right now. Can you believe the biggest topic in sports, biggest topic, 
right? That's what I do. I look at the biggest topics and try to get them to you and frame them so you can participate. And what it is today on every show, every debate show, fans, fans, out-of-control fans. A lot of times they tie it back to the Raiders. They do. And for me, give me no credit. Give me a little bit of credit. I know many who have. I defend the Raider Nation. I, that's what my legacy is. And some will laugh if I get into their DMs for being a bully or having to wash their mouth out with soap. There's a few of those guys out there. But if you know me, I've been defending Raider fans from other radio stations and other fan bases saying that they are the ones to be intimidated from. So when you have this topic, it always went back to Oakland and the Raider fans there. And it'll go. Believe me, you'll see it. You'll see it on these debate shows. You'll see the little Raider logo from back in the day, and they'll talk about it. They're doing it now. 211's back. Steel Reserve, go ahead. What's happening? What's up, brother? You know how the commute out here in the Bay is, so I had yeah. to drop car commuting. bro. So check this out, man. Uh, unruly fans. You're right. We always get we have that stigma as Raider Nation, but uh, I'm with you, man. Uh, there should be no reason for any clown to throw anything at anybody at any at any moment in time. But we had that incident happen with uh, Donald Penn. I don't know if you recall yeah. that where that fan called him sure. out. He got his six, he got his season tickets revoked and he got ousted in public. And uh, to tell you the truth, I would if I threw something at somebody and like try to hide in the crowd, I'd be embarrassed. I'm, I feel embarrassed for the guys. That's cowardly act. At the same time, like you said earlier, this new stadium is definitely not going to be like Oakland. This is a whole new stadium. I mean, I don't know if you recall early on when we first opened up that thing, there were some clowns already doing donuts in the parking lot, and I couldn't believe my ears when I had the callers in the morning show were out from Richmond, California, were saying, hey, that's what Raiders, that nation's about. That's, we're bringing that Bay lifestyle over to Vegas. I like, know that's not what it's about. Raider Nation yeah. should be better than that. Are you going to go with – I mean, you're going to get a brand-new pad, and you're going to go take, you know, put a doo-doo thing on your carpet just because it's your thing to do. No, you don't do that. And I was just so upset. I couldn't believe fans have that mentality. And, and I was always a fan that – I don't know if Raider fans have forgotten already, but all the years that we couldn't sell out, the last couple of years in Oakland we sold out. But there was a lot of fans from either the Chargers or opposing fans that would buy those tickets up as well and help us sell out. So I was always welcoming to those fans. So whenever I seen an unruly fan act a fool, I always stuck up for that person. And, you know, and they never got out of pocket. But I, just, I always I just, I stood down like, yo, leave him alone. The dude actually went out of his mind, you know, went out of his way, put some money into our stadium to get it sold out. Have some respect. That's just where I'm at with it. No, very good phone call. Thank you. It's important. Really the big part of this topic about unruly fans is policing your own section. And doing this, I'm not causing. I'm not calling on violence, but the grown, the grown ass men in their own section should police that. And what happens is a lot of times at games, all around the country, all around the world, there are a lot of women, kids, men who are intimidated by bullies. Right? You have a lot of bullies who intimidate people. So when they start spilling beer on people or using profanity, no one wants to get up and challenge them for obvious reasons. And that's really been the problem with this. Security can't be everywhere. You can't have 10 security guards in every section. It's expensive. It costs a lot of money. You just got to hope that fans do a better job. And when it comes to Allegiant Stadium, I'm the biggest fan of Allegiant Stadium. Once it came, once the Raiders were coming here and they were building something this night, we're going to keep it pristine. I mean, from any piece of trash, any cup that's on the floor, Anybody sees someone accidentally drop a cup of mustard, there should be 50 people there cleaning it up and going, 
This is our new home. It's the greatest home in the NFL. Treated that way, and I'm positive fans will expect that and treat Allegiant Stadium that way. Behind the net, Nemeth chips it around the boards. And now Taves slides it around the rim, and that's it. It's a one-sided affair in game one of the second round. Avalanche seven, Golden Knights one. I don't know. We're, we're not, you know, we, we haven't made excuses all year as a group for, for fatigue or playing short lineups or scheduling or we're not, we're not going to start now. Turn it up, Bobby. I'm going to make a point here really important with the Golden Knights because I love this team. I'm a fan of this team. I left my old team for the Vegas Golden Knights because it was a clean cut, a brand new inaugural expansion team. Not some team that moved from Quebec or some southeastern city that came here. Not like the bleeping Oakland A's if they come here. Okay, because the A's don't have the legacy that the Raiders have. Sorry, they don't. Great franchise in the past. They're not the Raiders. Let me get to the Golden Knights. This is a must win now. They have got to come out here, and they can't compete and play well and lose and everybody feel good about it. It's a must win. It's time for everybody to step up and understand that. If they lose the game, do they still have a chance? Well, they have to win four out of five against Colorado. Very unlikely. So you're going to have to win on the road. When you're the road team in a series, game one didn't blow me away to the point where there were people panicking, fans just fan on fan, Twitter violence, just amateur hour after they lost the game. Robin Leonard was going to play goaltender in the postseason. Everybody that I talked to told me in the know that the strength of the Golden Knights were going to have two fresh goaltenders if this team went deep into the playoffs. If you're going to win the Stanley Cup, you got to go deep into the playoffs. Flurry wasn't going to play every single game. This isn't Flurry from 10 years ago. So Robin Leonard was going to play. After a seven-game series, Flurry sat game one, and they got hammered. And yeah, Leonard, I didn't think, played really well. And Leonard's a really good goalie. He gets a lot of money to play goaltender for this team. He's no bum, okay? He's an elite goaltender, and he didn't have his A game. A little bit rusty, okay. Now you see Flurry the rest of the way. Colorado's first line is significantly better than what Vegas can put on the ice. So the other lines are going to have to do a better job. Vegas has to match, match the D-line, their best D-line, the most powerful D-line against their power line. Then roll up the top lines against their two and three lines. It's a lot easier at home when you have the last change. They have to be heavy against those guys. Keep them wide. Keep them wide and finish every check clean. And you better not get in the penalty box. Hey, the Vegas Golden Knights could be fine. They were an elite team this year. Arguably the best team in hockey for most of the year. They were a favorite at one point in Vegas. Get behind them now. This is when they need you. Go Knights, go!